This morning's scripture reading is from Colossians 1, verses 3 through 10. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we are going to talk about goodness or cultivating goodness. And I begin by uh, remembering something. There were three boys in my household. I was the oldest of them and usually the leader of um, not such good things. Um, and I, uh, I know I have heard 1,000 or maybe 10,000 times this last phrase from my mother as I left the house with my friends or my brothers. Boys, be good. I, I knew what it meant. I didn't always follow it, but I knew exactly what she was talking about. And when I look at the passage today, there's only one reference to goodness in the passage, but we're trying to use multiple passages that emphasize the work of the Spirit in our life, producing the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, when I look back at the passage in Galatians and realize that one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, I have the same question that you might have. There's another word in there that sounds almost identical. It's kind of an overlap, it seems. And I spoke about it two weeks ago, kindness and goodness, right? It seems like, was Paul being redundant? Was he just sort of reemphasizing something? I suppose um, people with good rhetorical skills do that. But maybe there's something more to it than that, and, and I'm going to suggest that there is. Um, to begin with, I, I'm going to give you some definitions of the word goodness that I encountered this week uh, in my study, and this is just a few of them, all of them from people who did their best to um, translate the word goodness from Greek into English. And, and here's some descriptions of what goodness is according to them. Goodness is defined as, and this is probably the most precise one, goodness is defined as uprightness of heart and life. Uprightness of heart and life. To put it in the context of our sermon, cultivate uprightness of heart and life. Another description of goodness is goodness is virtue and holiness in action. 
You already notice from these two definitions that it's almost as though goodness is an active verb. A third definition that you might find interesting is that goodness is deeds or deeds motivated by a righteous desire to be a blessing. Deeds motivated by a righteous desire to be a blessing. You can see it's more than just activity. It's activity on behalf of another. Another description of goodness, and this one really, really hits the mark, I think, that goodness is essentially deeds done to benefit the other, not simply a desire to be virtuous. That kind of goes to the heart of uh, the possibility that goodness could turn into legalism, right? The suggestion is that goodness is not for the benefit of you feeling virtuous or acting virtuous. The point of goodness is for the other. There is a similarity between kindness, goodness, and compassion. And especially at the end, I'll bring compassion in as a bit of an illustration of goodness through quotes. So the first part of this is sort of to define goodness. What is goodness? The second part is, why is goodness important for the Christian? You may say, can't you come up with a little better and less obvious question than that? No, I can't. That's it. Why is it important for the Christian? You might say, well, it's pretty obvious. Well, let's think about it, shall we? Why is it important for Christians? The first reason it seems that it's important for Christians is that it just, it just reflects the life of Jesus. There was a time where Peter was preaching to a crowd in the book of Acts, and he's reflecting back on Jesus and his ministry. And he's trying to communicate to this crowd what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Just the short phrase. Jesus went around doing good. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you're a Christian and trying to say something about Jesus, it seems to be uniformly true that people recognize this about Jesus. Whether they're a Christ follower, whether they're an atheist, when they think Jesus, they think about someone who did good. It's just so much a part of who Jesus was. I mean, think of the illustration of the, the Good Samaritan when Jesus said, in answer to the question, who's my neighbor? He said, Here, here's an example of who your neighbor is. And he gave an illustration of a culturally despised one, even more than Gentiles, perhaps. And how this this good Samaritan picked up the man alongside the road and took him in 
and in effect healed him. And he says, there's your neighbor. The good Samaritan, my neighbor. Yes, said Jesus. He illustrated that himself on another occasion when he met the woman at the well all by himself, which was culturally inappropriate. He spoke with the woman and he drank, drank with her from the same labor in the well, my neighbor. Jesus was ridiculed and condemned for being a friend of sinners. The line was, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. He eats with the lowest of the low. How could he be a righteous man? Righteous people don't associate with the unrighteous. People who are believers don't associate or have fellowship with those who are not would be another way of putting that in modern day terms. But Jesus did. He stunned people when he invited Zacchaeus to come down out of a tree because the motivation for coming down is, I want to have dinner with you. Really? That's Jesus demonstrating goodness in action. Just a quick question. So who are the culturally despised ones today? Who are they? The people who live a certain way, act a certain way, people who have radically different views of God than we do? Make the list. And whatever the list is that you come up with in your mind, I think the admonition of Jesus would be, do good to them. That's what I've always done. Do good to them. The second reason that goodness is important to the Christian is because goodness is a part of the gospel. In the life of Jesus, he went about preaching the good news, and almost all of the preaching of the good news was accompanied by acts of goodness and kindness and compassion. Jesus wasn't a preacher of righteousness. He simply stood up on the hillside and wagged his finger and told people how to live and how to enter the kingdom of God. You don't see Jesus just standing up and proclaiming. And that's all he does. You see Jesus proclaiming and healing and touching and living with and being good to others. They are absolutely inextricably linked. They're together. Um, Even his miracles, we sometimes refer to like John, the Gospel of John did, as signs. And I I love that. They were signs. But that is not to say that the Gospel of John is the exclusive understanding of what the miracles were about. John doesn't want us to think that the miracles were just signs. They were signs. Primarily, they were signs concerning the presence of God in the person of Jesus and the introduction of the kingdom into the world. But they were also good 
deeds. They were good works. They were just simply goodness. The third reason that goodness is so important to the Christian is that goodness is not a contradiction to faith. We, we have this tendency coming out of the Reformation tradition to be backed into the corner either by our own theology or by critics of our theology. And the corner is this. You believe in grace and you don't believe in good works, right? What do good works have to do with faith? By the way, uh, there's not many college students in this first service, but in the second there will be more. I, if you're a college student... Yeah or even if you're not. By the way, you can do this. You can be an old silver hair and still come to Connection, okay? We'd love to see you walk in there some Sunday night. Um, the only reason I'm not a silver hair is because my hair is too light to show it yet. The point is, we're, we're, we're happy for any of you to come. And tonight, actually, the topic, which the students chose themselves is good works versus faith. For them, it was a dilemma. Wait a minute, which is it? And how does that integrate? And we've got an expert speaking on that tonight. It's Dan Waugh, not me. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fascinating, provocative, and helpful for the students. But I know at least he will say this. He will say that good works, or in our context, goodness, is not in opposition to faith. It's an expression of faith. When you love and follow Jesus, you can't help but generate acts of kindness and goodness. And Jesus might say, speaking of a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. There's no sign of the presence of God in you unless goodness is a part of your life. I think it's ironic, by the way. For those of you who know anything about our Reformation tradition and the doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone, I think it's kind of ironic that the list of the fruit of the Spirit, including goodness, is where? Galatians, which is one of the primary texts, along with Romans, that the Reformation, especially in the words of Martin Luther, is used to declare justification by grace through faith alone. If you read the first part, Galatians, it's all about faith. And by the time you get to chapter 5, Paul is saying, I want to see the fruit of faith in your life. Not a contradiction to faith. And by the way, James is not a contradiction of Galatians and Romans, but that's another topic. You can come tonight and hear about it. The fourth reason that goodness is important to the Christian is because goodness is the presence of the Spirit of God. I wasn't here last week. Well, I was, but I was doing the membership class in both hours. And I know that Dan spoke a bit about common grace. 
the notion that grace is evident and apparent in this world among those who have not been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That common grace is everywhere. I call this too cutesy, but I'm looking at it now. It's snowflakes coming down outside the window. It's the beauty and order and design of God's creation. And it's goodness expressed by another, even if that other has no faith. Goodness is not the common property of believers. And it's certainly not the common property of just Christian believers. Goodness is an expression of the Spirit of God in the world. Good work done even by another is the presence of God. Good work done by another who is a part of a different religion is an expression of goodness, which is the presence of God in the world. We don't have to agree. But if goodness is expressed, there's some sense in which it's actually the presence of God. It's common grace. One thing that's going to seem like to you for a moment, at least some of you, is a radical departure from what I'm about to say. I don't believe it is. Goodness is not just the expression of good towards another. Goodness is actually the expression of good towards the earth that God has given us. To be a good steward of this earth is an expression of goodness. Um, Last night, for uh, about an hour and a half, I was uh, at the congregation Beth Shalom, the Jewish synagogue in town. For about a year and a half, a group of us have been active in conversation with them concerning what creation care might mean for us. I know that that topic is fraught with difficulty politically, but allow me to say something. In the context of that conversation uh, last night, the rabbi opened with a very brief teaching. The rabbi and I have become quite good friends. And uh, his brief teaching was about the Sabbath. And as you know, that would have been the evening when the Sabbath was coming to an end. And based on very strict parameters of what the Sabbath was about, none of those from Beth Shalom were writing anything during that time. That couldn't take place till 6.30 in the evening. Sort of an oddity for us, Um, but no matter differences. And in the context uh, of that meeting, when the rabbi opened the meeting, he gave a brief description of Sabbath and how important it was to them. 
And he made a connection between Sabbath and the restoration or the restoring of the restful created order that God had made. I didn't want to be taking notes voraciously because that would seem to have been an insult, but I wish I could have. And I'm going to ask him, would you just write down the summary of that for me? Because it was nothing short, in my opinion, of beautiful. It was beautiful. He made a link between Sabbath day and creation rest and the restoration of all things to the way they ought to be. So I have one more thing to say about that. For a number of you, uh, you have heard along the way of a thing called Trinity Fellowship. Most of you don't have any idea what it is. Trinity Fellowship for the last two years has been sort of an official ministry that we've created uh, primarily for the university um, here at ECC. And, and Dan Waugh and I have initiated this organization, shall we call it. And the idea of Trinity Fellowship is it's a ministry that's established to address issues of faith and the intellect and our culture, especially issues that may allow us to have conversations within the university community with folks who, who might otherwise not actually engage in conversation with us. Let me give you just an overview of the kinds of things we've done. Uh, talks that we've had. Um, you could call them lectures, but that sounds too formal. We had one at the very beginning uh, as our initiative entitled, I'm a Believer and a Skeptic. Is that okay? Uh, we had another one entitled, How Can I Connect Science with My Faith? We had a third one uh, entitled, Truth Claims in a Pluralistic Culture. And that one was a question mark behind it. How does that work? I guess that was my favorite. It was a panel. And um, I enjoyed it a lot. We had a Veritas forum that we sponsored entitled Last uh, Spring, Reckoning with Evil, a discussion on God, philosophy, and hope. Two professors did a presentation. And then uh, Tim O'Connor um, moderated a discussion between them and with the audience. This past semester, we had a four-part series on new, the New Testament, its canonicity and its reliability. And the next one we're going to have, it's going to be right here in the church, not on Sunday morning. It's entitled Creation, Care, Climate Change, and the Gospel. April the 3rd, 7.30, right here. Now, again, let me, let me recognize something, that the issue of what is often called climate change is fraught with all kinds of political peril. I understand that. But I invite you to, at least, as a Christ follower, join us in thinking what does creation care mean?
Have an open mind and come, will you? Presentation will be done uh, by a young man. They're all young now, 37 or so. He must be right at the prime of life because that's when I came to this congregation when I was 37. I remember those days. Um, and he'll be speaking for us. He's from the Christian Reformed tradition, Calvin and Western Seminary. And uh, he's passionate about these issues. But um, don't, don't dismiss it, okay? Because here's what I know and I think what all of you believe. That God has given you and me the responsibility to be stewards of this beautiful earth. Right? That's a creation mandate. That's distinctively Judeo-Christian. So what does it mean? Let's just talk about it. So I told you I was going to end with uh, some quotes related to goodness slash compassion. As I said, goodness is, uh, is an activity. It's not just a disposition. And it links well with kindness and compassion. Here's, here's an interesting quote. Come from Anne Frank. You know her very well and as a literary person. She said, no one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. An act of goodness. Here's another. You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. Not live today unless you've done something for someone who couldn't repay you. You know who that comes from? John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. And the library suggestion that we read Pilgrim's Progress together. A third quote. For years, this one kind of cuts to the quick for me. For years I thought my assignment or the church's assignment was to articulate the gospel and nothing more. Now I believe that if we don't support the verbal expression of the gospel with physical demonstration of compassion, we're not imitating Jesus. Max Lucado. Or how about this final quote? Biblical orthodoxy without compassion. I'll insert the word hyphen goodness. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Francis Schaeffer. So my challenge to us is to take the fruit of the Spirit goodness seriously as an expression of the gospel. How do we do that? Just a few takeaways. Don't overthink it. When you feel the impulse to respond with goodness, just do it from the heart. Second, give to organizations, work with organizations who are active about doing goodness. Whether that's here 
and we are. Thank you very much for that. Our budget is, is really strong this year. Thank you. Missions budget, general budget, contributing to the activity of goodness in this church or in other organizations in this town or other places. Third, join in the work of doing goodness with others. In other words, line up shoulder to shoulder with someone in order to do something, right? Whether it's your friends or people you don't yet know. That'd be a great opportunity to get to know some folks. A fourth, watch and pray for opportunities to implement goodness. Which might be just as simple as a word of encouragement to someone who needs it. Watch and pray for opportunities. Fifth, make it a weekly goal. Make it a weekly goal to do something for another without getting caught. To do something for another and they never know you did it. And finally, ask God to produce the fruit of goodness in your heart and in your life. So why don't we do that the way we have every Sunday following the sermon by reading a prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy on me 